It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for Crowder 85 yards there was contact with the quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on Prescott it was Adams who came blitzing in he'll hit immediately when he got the handoff you know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. oh my gosh listen thank you from the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's time for the weekend mailbag. Lots of questions, and for that, of course, we welcome in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right into the mailbag. Question comes in from one of our guys at TurnOnTheJets.com, Michael Megan. He says, I don't know if you agree, but I think Adam Gase needs to win eight to nine games to keep his job in 2020. Can't have four straight losing seasons as a head coach with one playoff trip and stay here. Also, four seasons into psych. Great so far. Outside of premium cable channels like HBO, is there a better channel for original shows than USA? They had Psych, Burn Notice, Suits, White Collar, Royal Pains, Mr. Robot, all of which were good. So let's start with the first part of this. I personally don't think that Adam Gase should need to win eight to nine games. I've been clear on this. The win total isn't as important to me as him showing that he's really grown as a head coach. I went through all of this with Manish. I'll quickly give the Cliff Notes version, but if Sam Darnold takes a major leap forward, if the offense does a lot better, if I don't hear stuff about problems in the locker room, if he becomes a better overall manager, if we see better adjustments less silly play calling, so on and so forth, then I would be okay with Adam Gase staying, even if the record is worse because I would know that the record wasn't worse because of Adam Gase, if that makes any sense. So if he shows real growth as a coach, I'm okay with it. And again, I don't think it's fair to necessarily go back to Miami. The only reason you would do that is if he hasn't shown any growth as a coach because then you can say, okay, he's been a head coach for five years. He's still making the same mistakes. Time to cut bait. But you can't really hold him responsible in terms of win-loss records with Miami and New York in the same situation because it was different rosters, completely different scenarios. This is only his second year here, and you have to start fresh with that. So unless he shows you that he hasn't grown as a head coach and he's still making the same mistakes that he did in Miami, you have to judge him based on what he's done here. And if he has significantly grown as a coach, but the record is worse, then like I said, what that shows you is that Adam Gase may be a guy you want to keep around here. And more importantly, that the Jets had a worse record, not because of <coughs> Gase's coaching, but because perhaps the schedule was too tough and there were other extenuating circumstances, perhaps some injuries. We'll see what ends up happening there. As far as USA, I agree. Beyond the premium cable channels, and subscription-only services like Netflix and Amazon. USA has done a really good job of putting together some solid original programs. And by the way, Psych is great and good news. 
once you get to the end of Psych, the Peacock streaming service, which NBC is putting out, it's owned by NBC the same way that USA is, has already signed on for five new Psych movies. The first one was supposed to come out already, but because of what's been going on, it got delayed. But there's going to at least be five new Psych movies. And then you can go back and watch all the original stuff again because it never gets old. The thing about Psych for me is that it's just pure fun. It kind of reminds me of what I like to say to people about a band like George Thurgood and the Destroyers. George Thurgood and the Destroyers weren't the greatest rock and roll band of all time. They didn't reinvent the wheel. You're not going to look at their albums and say these are some of the greatest masterpieces in rock and roll. But if you go and see George Thurgood play for an hour and a half or two hours, you're going to have fun. If you put on one of George Thurgood's albums, you're going to enjoy it. It's not going to be the greatest. It's not going to be in the Mount Rushmore. But you know that every time that you listen to his music, you're at least going to enjoy yourself. And that's how I feel about Psych. Even when you're watching the reruns that you've seen before, it's always going to be funny and entertaining. So, Chris, what do you think? USA as an original show provider, and then Adam Gase, do you think he's got to win at least eight or nine games to stay here? All right, I'm going to answer the Adam Gase one first, but before I do that, I'm just going to briefly say that I'm disappointed in you and your answer, and I will explain in a second why. Um, but... Uh, the Adam Gase answer here, okay, so this is going to be a little bit all over the place, what I'm about to say right now. I'm aware of the fact that it's going to be a bit all over the place, but I don't know how else to do it but to just bounce all over. There might even be a built-in excuse for him this year, which I know fans will not be happy about, but with the shortened off season, with all the craziness going on, with relying on so many rookies and new pieces, there could be a lot that where people are sitting here looking at it like, all right, this isn't a fair year to accurately judge. I'm not saying that he should get that benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying that's something that I will do, uh, but I could absolutely see that coming into play and being uh, a scenario that plays out. But on the flip side of that also, you know, when I, that schedule came out, I didn't think the schedule was as hard as I expected it to be. Um, and while there's, you know, they could lose all of those games, there's no game on there that I even that I look at and say that's an automatic W. There's only a, a handful where I look at and say that is automatic loss. Uh, I expect them to lose some that they should win and win some that they should lose, obviously. I, but this this whole you know, shortened off season is going to make it even harder to predict how this is going to play out. And it's a possibility that maybe that could even break to the Jets advantage in some ways. Um, I, but in general, I just, I agree with you because I just, I don't like the playoff mandate. I don't like saying it has to be a certain amount of wins because then, again, I've said this before, but you look at uh, Sam Darnold getting mono. Uh, there's just things that you can't uh, factor into the equation when you make things like that. You can't predict how the season's going to unfold. The things that are going to happen, that's beyond anybody's control. So I don't like doing that. Um, and I don't think that's what the, uh, the right way to do it either. I think you have to look at, the progress the team's making in a, with him, it's simple. It, it's looking at Sam Darnold and looking at the offense. If 
the offense doesn't look good, if Sam Darnold doesn't look good, I don't care if they win 12 games. I don't care if they win two games. If it doesn't look like he can figure out how to get the offense of Sam Darnold going, then get him out of here because that's what you brought him in for. Um, you know, if they win, if they go like 12 and four next year, but they're winning games six nothing because the defense is shutting everybody out and the offense can't do anything, then fire him and make your uh, Greg Williams the coach. I don't mm-hmm. care. Like, or hire somebody else, keep Greg Williams, but he was brought in here to tr- turn the offense around. And if they're losing a bunch of games, but the offense looks good, then I'm good with it. Uh, if the if the offense looks bad, I don't care what the record is, and I'm gonna want to move on and get a different coach. Uh, that's really how simple it is. But it's 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 even more this year. I think it's a little bit crazy to be trying to uh, say you have to win a certain amount of games or you have to have a playoff mandate because there's just so much uncertainty right now. Um, now you know once we figure out exactly when. What, how long training camp they're going to have, how, how intense it's going to be. And then once we see how that's played out, then maybe I, I'll reassess and give you another answer because I'll know how much work the rookies got in right now. But I right, how can I expect uh, Makai Becton and uh, Denzel Mims to contribute anything right now when I don't know how much time they're going to really get in in the offseason? As for the USA answer... Hold on. Before you get to that, Chris, I know why you're disappointed in me. I figured it out. It's because yes. I didn't say FX. And I agree with you. It completely slipped my mind. FX is number one, but USA is probably a solid number two. Oh, I, I, I'm, I can be good with that. But it's obviously... FX obviously has justified. It has Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. as S.H.I.E.L.D. It has uh, the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, Fargo. Uh, there's a bunch of other good shows on there. As some of them, there was uh, Atlanta was on there. I w- I didn't get fully into it, but The Americans is another really good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, FX wins this uh, in a landslide for me. Yeah, I agree. FX number one, USA is number two. It had slipped my mind when he said it just because I went down the rabbit hole of good USA shows and was thinking about how almost all the best shows are on premium cable or on subscription services like Netflix or Amazon. But, of course, FX is number one. But USA is a solid number two, and those shows are all pretty enjoyable. I would say that the FX shows are all on a higher level, but shows like Burn Notice were always entertaining. Shows like Royal Pains were good. Uh, another another good channel though uh, AMC you got mm-hmm. you you know obviously you got Breaking Bad and uh and Better Call Saul I I was not a Walking Dead fan but uh they got they got a couple other shows as well too that are escaping me Next question comes in from Bless Austin fan account he says Scott why hasn't there been any sort of rumblings about Marcus Golden who had a really good year last year with the Giants even if it's for two years, $14 million or something like that. Honestly, I don't think Golden's that good. A lot of his sacks were what I like to call Vic Beasley sacks. He's certainly better than what the Jets have right now, so for the right price, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but you got to also remember that he is injured a lot, so that's probably a big part of what's holding him back. 
I would imagine that Joe Douglas has that in his back pocket as something he may consider depending on how far this goes and how little it would take to get Golden. But those are probably the reasons. Yeah, that. And again, I, I, I think they're trying not to spend money. Um, and if they if they thought that Golden was, you know, was a, would be able to duplicate the sack total that he got last year, and if it wasn't Vic Beasley type sacks, as you said, then I, they'd be willing to pay him. But listen, look look at around this league and see how sought after people are, uh, players are that can sack the uh, quarterback. Ask yourself why Marcus Golden is still available. Because every single team in the NFL wants players that can get to the quarterback. And yeah, he got sacks last year, but teams aren't lining up to sign him. And it's because they don't believe those sack numbers. And if you go and watch the tape of those sack numbers, you will see and understand why they don't believe in those sacks numbers. He kind of lucked himself into those sacks. It wasn't because he was beating guys one-on-one. It was some type of coverage sack or the other guys on the line freed him up or he just came on untouched. Um, all sacks are not created equal. Let's put it that way. And there's, and because of that, Golden is still out on the market. And I, I just, I don't think that the Jets are going to end up signing him. I would, I would do it because of what they, how little they have there. Sure, bring him in and hope he can get some of those same luck sacks next year because they, they do still count. But, uh, I, but I just don't see them doing it. Next, we've got two questions back-to-back that are about the same subject, and that subject is Logan Ryan. JetsNZ says, what do you guys think about Ryan? I think he's more of a name player at this point. Gets burned on the outside and slow. Does that remind you of anyone? Jets already have pull in the slot. Would much rather use that money on an offensive lineman like Larry Warford. And then Danny CC 716 says, the Logan signing seems redundant. The team already has like 20 corners on the roster. Shouldn't the team focus on the offensive side of the ball with an offensive lineman? So let's talk about Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan is a playmaker on defense, essentially. That's really what his role is. He plays in a variety of different ways. Yes, he does the slot, but he's also somebody that had a lot of pressures and sacks for a guy that plays the cornerback position. He's somebody that would allow Greg Williams a lot of flexibility, and I think that that's really what they're looking at with him. They want him as that type of chess piece. If it were up to me and the choice were either Logan Ryan, Larry Warford, or Jason Peters, Logan Ryan would be third on that list, but it appears that the Jets think in the other direction where Logan Ryan would be ahead of the other two. Although we do know that they are still in contact with Jason Peters, but it sounds like Logan Ryan is the one that they're most likely to sign of the three. So Chris, is that more or less how you see it? That Logan Ryan is the one that they seem to prioritize over the other two, if they're going to sign anybody and that Ryan would more or less be brought in here as a chess piece for Greg Williams. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, uh, That's exactly what it is. They they want the playmaker. They want the, that extra chess piece, that flexibility uh, to use in different ways. And while I get the, uh, you know, the thought process of being, hey, we, they already have a bunch of maybe guys. Why get another one? He is he is a different type of player, a different uh, guy that they can use, and that is something that 
that Greg Williams values greatly and that they are willing to sign, obviously more so than uh, than Warford or anybody else like that right now. I would I would assign Warford too. Uh, instead, I would use that money. I I would also look into you know Curtis Samuel uh, uh, trade and uh, possibly pay him b- before I did Logan Ryan. But I I'm not gonna be against a decision to bring in Logan Ryan because I do think with Greg Williams that he would be an excellent uh, chess piece to give them flexibility to uh, send him on blitzes to and to, to be able to use him. As like a tandem in a sort of way with Jamal, man, that great. They lack the edge, but to be able to have him and Jamal on the same defense could kind of mask that and make up for that, in my opinion. Next question comes in from Michael Parsons. He says, before the draft, many people believed that this draft, because of the impact of the coronavirus, would determine which front offices are the best and worst run. Judging by what Joe Douglas has now done, how would you rate the front office? I still think it's a little early to say. I like the way that he seems to be running things, and I like a lot of the moves that he's made. I like the fact that he seemed to have a coherent draft strategy, but it's really too early to rate him anywhere. I would say that early returns are that he's above the bottom part, but he's still unproven in terms of whether or not he's going to get to the top part. Like In other words, I'm saying I don't think that he's a total screw-up. It seems like he's at least above that. But whether or not he's going to be a long-term solution as general manager, somebody that can be here and really build this team into a winner over the next bunch of years, we saw some promising steps in that direction, but the jury's still out. Yeah, I'm the same. I, Again, I said I, I do really like uh, what he did, how, the strategy he had, how he went about things, but it's way too early for me to be uh, making any type of you know, sweeping judgments about him. Uh, I would say that, you know, there's more reason to be positive than not, but uh, we're going to have to wait and see before I really uh, have a solid opinion of this going forward. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Eric Sanchez. He says, I know Mims 40 time doesn't necessarily show deep speed, But is that something he can develop now that he's on a pro club? That could be the case with Denzel Mims. I don't know that he's necessarily going to show you that blazing speed along the lines of what Robbie did. But I do think that he's going to be fast enough to beat plenty of defensive backs. He ran a 4-3-8, but more importantly, when you watch him on tape, you do see him get a step or two on plenty of defensive backs. I don't think that he's going to be that top flight blazer, the type of guy that's just going to straight up take the top off of a defense. But I think that he can do it from time to time. And the real value with him is that he's going to be able to make plays in a lot of ways and that he's big and physical and he finds ways to get separation and use his body to get tough contested catches and be a real red zone weapon so I think that he's going to be not quite as impressive as his time speed in terms of being that real breakaway threat but I do think that you'll see that speed flash from time to time he's one of the players that plays uh and I don't know what it's I don't really like that phrase of uh plays faster than his speed but uh 
his 40 time isn't uh, an accu- as accurate representation as how he plays, the way he is on the field. He does have that blazing, just outrun everybody, take the top off the defense. Uh, but he's still very fast and smooth in his moves that, you know, the, the play, the yards after the catch is where he's going to do more damage and he can still beat your teams deep. Uh, it's, it'd probably take him a little bit, especially again with the shortened off season, we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think that, uh, he's going to be somebody who you're like, Oh man, he can't stretch the field at all. He's going to be able to, uh, to win at every point on the field. Uh, I true, I do truly believe that. I'm not saying he's going to be an elite receiver, but he's, he's good. He can do everything. And I, I don't think that there you're going to have any real complaints about him uh, going deep at all. I just don't see it. Next question comes in from Chris Wilson. He says, would you trade for Juju Smith-Schuster if you had a chance to? Would you try to get him in free agency, or would you rather draft a receiver next year? If you were going to trade for him, what would you give up? And also, same thing for Yannick Ngakwe. I'd love to trade for Yannick Ngakwe, but I just don't think that the Jets are going to be willing to give up a premium pick and pay him the $20-plus As far as Juju Smith-Schuster, sure, it would be nice to have him. Obviously, he's got that connection with Darnold in addition to the fact that he's a really good receiver. But do you want to pay a wide receiver that kind of money? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I guess if you could get him now, you could make a case for it because you're going into that pivotal year with Darnold and you're getting a guy who's arguably a star receiver who's still young and who already has an established bond with Darnold. So that would be a huge boon in a lot of ways. What would you give up? hard to say, maybe a second-round pick, but would the Steelers be willing to take that for their top receiver right now, especially with Ben Roethlisberger coming back? Probably not. So what do you think, Chris? And Gakwe, Juju Smith-Schuster, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I would absolutely do Juju. Uh, I do not think the Steelers are trading Juju. Uh, I But if they would be willing to, I would give up a second-round pick for him. Um and it would be for the, the exact reason that you just said. It would be to give Darnold another weapon for this year to make sure that you could get that. Um, and by the way, me doing that, I would still be looking to draft another receiver next year on top of that. Now, how high am I going to take that receiver? Depends, obviously, where they're picking and uh, how the board falls. Um, you know, if they're in Jamar Chase territory, then I will be uh, – I, I will be swooning for him again. I'll, I will put myself right through that Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb uh, gauntlet again and uh, and then emerge upset that I won't get to cover Jamar Chase next year. But I would do both. Um, I would have done Ngakwe. Uh, the, the Jets clearly aren't interested. Uh, that's, I, that's not going to happen. I, I can I can understand that though more and I would rather do the receiver than him if it was one of the others as much as I do love Ngakwe, uh paying that type of money uh, for him would I again this is all just I want I want offense for Sam Darnold so we, I it can fully give him everything he needs all these other teams are building around their young quarterbacks. The Jets need to do more to build around theirs. 
Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger, and every time I see that handle, it just makes me think of Chuck Norris roundhouse kicking somebody. Walker, Texas Ranger. Used to love watching that. The reruns are still on, and it never gets old watching Chuck Norris beat dudes up. He says, what rookie are you most excited for in 2020, and what free agent are you most excited for? This is an easy one for me. Rookie, Becton, free agent, McGovern. I want to see what this offensive line can do to help keep Sam on his feet in 2020. So that's really what I'm excited for. I know it's weird because who gets excited over offensive line, but you can't see this right now. He's got two thumbs and he's pointing at himself. This guy. Going off that, I I wanted to talk about, uh, I've been thinking about this for a little bit, and it's, it's, you know, especially during draft time, uh, there's always the people always say that, uh, you know, getting an offensive lineman isn't a sexy pick. And and I get it because you people want the, the skill players. But aside from quarterback, there is no important unit than the offensive line. So getting – I don't think that people should continue with this mental approach of being like – yeah, the offensive line's good, but I can't really get too excited about it. I don't understand that thought process because the offensive line is going to help the quarterback, the running back, the tight end, and the wide receivers. It's going to help them all, and if they get a good enough good offensive linemen, it's going to help the defense as well by keeping them off the field. So I do think we're just in general, can we can we kind of change the perspective of this, of the idea that like the offensive line is something that you shouldn't be excited about. <laughs> um, I I don't want to say Mekhi Becton only because I don't want to just pick the first round pick. But how can I not say Mekhi Becton? Because it's a gigantic planet of a man that is as le- athletic as anybody else. How can I not? Otherwise, I'd actually say Ashton Davis because – Denzel Mims would be another one too. Obviously, I'm very excited to watch him and see him progress. But I, I am showing my defensive bias here, and I want to see all the ways that Greg Williams is going to use him. Um, that's that's going to be exciting for me to watch the different what Greg Williams has in mind, the different ways to use him, what he might do, or that where on the field they plan to attack uh, with him. So that that will be my answer, just because I don't want to give the Mackay, obvious Makai Beckton answer. Uh, as far as free agency, I'm, I don't know if excited is the right word, but interested, intrigued, uh, what I'm going to be co- keeping my eye on the most. Uh, your McGovern answer is, is excellent, and that's vital and important, but I'm, I'm very curious about this. That's the word I'm going to use. Rashad Perriman. I, I am not a huge believer in him. I know he had that huge stretch, and I I think he's obviously not at that level, and he's not as bad as he was at the first couple of years with the Ravens. He's somewhere in between. But I'm I'm going to be very interested to watch him, especially hoping we get I media gets to watch training camp. I get up close views and and get a better look at him myself. That's the one I'm most interested in seeing. And with that, we'll wrap up part one of the weekend mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. 
In the meantime, make sure that you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd be really grateful. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps us out a lot. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.